Hey, this is Louis Grenier here and welcome to the Human Strike Back by Hotjar, a weekly podcast designed to help you succeed by putting people first. I have the pleasure to co-host this podcast with my fellow human and colleague, David Peralta. Each week, we're going to learn the stories of other humans who are making a difference and thriving by putting their users, customers, and team members first, so you can learn from them, take action, and grow. On to the podcast. Hey, it's Louis Grenier here, and today I'm talking with Sarah Dudy. Sarah is a user experience designer with over 14 years of experience in the field. Sarah is going to share how she launched a brand new user experience course and what she take off before she even prepared a single lesson. It's a great story of how to validate a concept before even putting pen to paper by listening to your potential customers and how to enlist your early users into creating an even more successful final product. You'll get to hear from Sarah about how losing a $5,000 a month client forced her to throw a perfectionism and imposter syndrome out of the window and just launch with a concept that was just good enough. How she knew she was onto something big just by sending out a single Google Form survey. How she sold out an 85-seat workshop with just two hours worth of work and had to shut down registration early. The one survey question she asks that always results in the most valuable responses. The need for authenticity and vulnerability in communications with customers and how obsessing over the people you want to help is a must if you really want to understand them. She also talks about the power of giving to give instead of giving to get, and the value that comes from nurturing relationships directly with their early customers. I really had a great time uh, talking with Sarah, and I hope you learned from her as much as I did. Today, we are talking with Sarah Doody, who's a UX expert, She has 14 years of experience in the field, and she's the author of UX Notebook Newsletter. Um, I believe there are 13,000 designers in this newsletter. Yeah, we're actually up to 14,100. Nice. We're growing fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite impressive for a newsletter. Um, How long have you been doing this for, actually? The newsletter started four years ago, and I mainly started it because I was kind of tired of answering the same questions over and over. So I thought it would just be a great way to kind of shed some things I'm learning and tips and ideas and things with the people that kept emailing me to ask. And how were you getting uh, questions uh, before that? What was the usual medium? People would often email me. Uh, as well as Twitter. I have been growing an audience over there. And so I was just getting so many mentions and direct messages, and I couldn't keep up with all the places where people were communicating with me. And you had to find a way to scale that while still giving value to people, right? Exactly. And it it's definitely overwhelming when you have people contact you in, in all these places, but the questions they ask are so valuable because it's like, doing user research without even asking to do it. So I didn't want to lose those insights that were coming from all the questions. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Something I picked up in your bio and looking into you a bit more in more detail is is that you're a marathoner, right? Yes, yes. And what what is your record time-wise? My record is three hours, 51 minutes and nine seconds, I believe. That was in Toronto, Canada. Nice. Yeah. Um, for someone who barely can run 5K, <laughs> um, 
without uh, being out of breath. It's fairly impressive. Uh, <laughs> I've never tried. I should. It's a lot of fun. I was not a runner growing up at all, but um, I used to live in Portland, Oregon, where Nike's headquarters are, and it seems like everyone's a runner, so I kind of picked it up out there. Social pressure, huh? Exactly. So today, we're going to go through a very interesting story of yours, a story that I believe is quite authentic, vulnerable, and even practical, so that people, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you will be able to get some practical advice and actionable advice that you will be able to implement in your business, uh, whether you're a freelancer, consultant, startup founder, marketer, designer, believe it, it would work with anyone. And it's truly a story about putting people first. Um, so you had, you were in a tough financial situation after losing your client. You had to replace the money you were getting from this client. And instead of overthinking it, you, you went quick and dirty and launched something, right? Exactly. Um, and iterated over time. So before going into this story in more details, I just want to uh, define a few things because I mentioned you were a UX expert, um, but many listeners might not know what UX means. So could you perhaps just define quickly what does UX mean to you uh, for people who are not familiar with it? Sure. So user experience, I will say this, it means a lot of things to a lot of people. And if you Google the definition, you'll get tons of conflicting answers and opinions and things like that. And whenever anyone asks me, I say, you know, my goal is really to make things user-friendly. So make the experiences that you have on a daily basis easy and not frustrating, whether that is going through the checkout of an airline booking site or purchasing something online or signing up for health insurance, whatever that is, we want that to be as easy as possible. So you're not wasting time in your life trying to use a poorly designed website or product or something. Um, and in terms of what I do in user experience, there's many different roles or skills, if you will. And I am more on the research side of things. So I look to understanding people's problems. How are they going about booking a flight right now? What are the problems they're encountering? And then using that research to come up with the improved way to do that. So the what I call the experience design, and that involves user flows, wireframes, prototypes, and things like that. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a visual designer. I don't make pixel-perfect things. I leave that to the experts. Okay, that makes sense. And I think people will get a better uh, understanding of what UX mean, I think, at least to you. But it's funny because I don't want to get into that because we could talk about it for hours. But <laughs> I, I really think that marketing, UX, design, all of that is, is based on the same thing. It's really based on understanding people so well that exactly. you can design the right experience for them. So even though you specialize in certain area, I think I'm a marketer myself and I, myself, and I think we are doing the same job. Exactly. Just, different tools. Um, right. But as we said, this isn't, uh, we're not talking about in this, but in this episode, uh, we're going to talk about something uh, more interesting. Um, so you have this program called the UX portfolio program. And at the minute you have around 300 students enrolling it and you help a lot of UX designers to get interviews and job offers. Um, sounds like a success story from this point of view right now. Uh, it seems like you're, you're able to sell a program that you've designed once to multiple people. You're able to scale that. You don't have to spend time with every single one of them. And you can, you know, generate a lot of, uh, of, of value for yourself and, and for others. But this isn't how it started, right? 
No. So <laughs> can you take us back to May 2017? What happened then? Yeah. So back in May, I had lost a large retainer client, which means one of these clients was paying me a monthly fee. And for reasons that don't matter, that relationship ended up just going away. The, the client kind of just ran out of money. So that left me in a little bit of a problem because I had put a lot of eggs in one basket, if you will. And I realized, how am I going to replace this income? And I'd already been teaching another online course, but in the back of my mind, I thought I want to do something related to user experience portfolios because my inbox was filling up with emails from people asking me to help them with UX portfolios and my Twitter as well. And I literally used to spend about two hours every Friday afternoon emailing feedback back to people. And then I thought, why am I doing this for free? But also, if this many people are asking me for this type of advice, there must be something there. So that led me down the path of starting to prototype this user experience portfolio program that you just talked about a few minutes ago. So let me take take you back a bit because I'm interested in the original situation. You don't have to give me the amount of money that you lost. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was the proportion of this retainer over your, your full income approximately? Um, it's just easier to tell you the amount. So it was a $5,000 a month retainer, which is huge. And I'd always been thinking I need to diversify. I need to have more of a pipeline, things like that. But in hindsight, you know, I wasn't doing that. Um, and I guess, honestly, I got comfortable. Um, and so this situation really put me into that place of do or die in quotation marks, right? Because I think a lot of times we have these ideas, but we don't act on them because we're comfortable. Do we really need it? Is it going to pay off? We're not sure. But in this case, this is kind of the thing that pushed me over the ledge and made me at least see what happened with this idea. When this client told you that that they, it was over, that they had no money like, to pay you or for whatever other reasons, like was it just overnight? You weren't expecting it or did you, did you have? I had a hunch for about four weeks or so. And some of the signs were less and less communication. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like a fight or anything. They just literally ran out of money and that often happens, but they weren't good at communicating that. So the problem was it was a very quick departure. So I didn't have, you know, a, a heads up to then think to myself, oh my goodness, how am I going to replace $5,000 um, per month of a client? How did it make you feel when overnight you lost those $5,000 a month? Um, it was... Uh, Definitely concerning, but also, to be honest, I was, this will sound crazy, but I was almost relieved because I had been telling myself for months that I wanted to figure out how to step away, but I couldn't figure that out yet. <laughs> and, um, and I wanted to step away because I really, really thought there was something 
in the world of online UX education that I really needed to pursue because I was seeing all these signs like the success of the previous course I did, my inbox filling up with more and more questions all around the topic of portfolios and things, Um, probably some blog posts or tweets I'd done that were getting a lot of visibility. And so, yes, it was, I was freaking out, but also I thought, okay, this is what I kind of wanted. Now I have to make this other thing happen. It just was not good timing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But I do understand you, you mentioned, oh, I don't, uh, you might think it's crazy, but I, I get you. I used to have a consulting business a few years ago and I know the difference between a, a good client and a bad client. Uh, client that drains you and your energy and a client that actually energizes you and make you feel better and make you feel valued. So I, I get you. Um, so what does, what does freaking out in the world of, uh, of Sarah Doody look like? <laughs> um, freaking out meant I quickly pulled up financial documents, trying to go back to old emails I probably should have followed up on or thinking about which past clients maybe I could reach out to. And I kind of just started evaluating all the different things I could do to kind of be a bridge, a financial bridge, until this portfolio program proved itself to be a sustainable revenue line. Um, and the, the timing was very crazy because also I was getting ready to um, go over to Europe for three weeks to speak at conferences and things. So I knew I did not have time really to take on a new client or do a lot, you know, trying to work over in Europe on this brand new project. It just didn't seem like a good setup at all. So what did you do? So I decided to myself, I need to test this idea that I had for a program that would help user experience designers design their portfolio, which seems bizarre because it seems very ironic. But the problem with creative people, especially, I think, is that we are often our own worst client. We are too critical. We get stuck in the weeds of everything. And after I thought about it, I realized this isn't just because we are creative. It's because it's our quote unquote product. We're just like startup founders who all of a sudden are stuck in the weeds and have spent a month, you know, trying to make a decision about something or not launching the first version of their product because it's not perfect. So I thought to myself, what can I do to test this idea? And what does success look like for a successful test? Um, And to me, it meant trying to get a ton of email addresses to show me that people were interested and maybe even have those people pay me um, in order to come to the first version of this program. And what was the program, first version of it in your head? What what would it be? Would it be a kind of a video style course over a few hours? What would it be? Yeah, so um, the first version of the course was a 90-minute workshop that I taught live. And I'd done this before, probably 18 months in advance for another idea I had. And that model works really well because what I did was I didn't even write up a curriculum. I didn't know what people would 
exactly learn in those 90 minutes. All I knew is that there was a topic and some other topics that we would touch on based on the emails I was receiving from people asking me all these questions. So the first thing I did was let people know I was doing this 90-minute workshop, and I put a link in my weekly newsletter just floating the idea and saying, if you are interested in this, go over here and fill out this Google form. And that was cool because it let me collect emails without worrying about a landing page or getting stuck on the design of it or anything. It was just an ugly Google form. And also it had some questions. I forget how many, probably five or six, but just by sending the newsletter and putting that link, I checked the answers a few days after and 400 people had responded in great detail. Like, Honestly, they were writing paragraph-long answers, telling me all their problems with their UX portfolios, their careers, the interviewing process, and things like that. And once I saw those 400 answers, it was just a no-brainer that this had to move forward because the market was demanding it. So not everyone has the luxury, or should I say, have put so much work into building a list of people who are interested in what you have to say, mm-hmm. uh, like you've done. How would you advise um, companies or other people to to do this exact same exercise, but without this huge email list that you have? Um, do you have any tips for them? Yeah. So the first thing you should not do is send it to your friends and family um, or post it on Facebook or something like that. And the reason is that You're wasting your time and their time because more than likely they are not your audience. If I had just put a link to that on my Facebook or on my uh, uh, sent a mass text message or something, it would have been a waste of time. So you have to think to yourself, if you don't have a big newsletter, where do these people exist that might be interested in that? And they exist in tons of online groups, whether that's LinkedIn groups Facebook groups, um, in-person things. If you're doing some running product, see if you can have your local like running club newsletter, drop a link in their newsletter or something. But it does not take very long to go find these people online thanks to Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, etc. So something we haven't mentioned yet is that this isn't necessarily something you're used to, to, to create something that quick and ask for feedback uh, that fast and, uh, and move on to, to start something uh, quite quickly. You had the habit of maybe overthinking things a bit when it came to creating a product or even not starting at all. What was the, the difference between this project and the ones you might have tried to start before that? Mm-hmm. So in the past, I'd done another online course about user research. And um, I did do a little workshop to test the idea and it went well, but then it was probably a good year before I came out with the final version of it. And the problem was that I was perfecting everything. I spent an embarrassing amount of time like debating what the slides should look like and re-recording lessons and things like that or working on the landing page and the sales page for the course and all these things. And 
I thought to myself, that took way too long and I don't want to do that. But also I kind of felt like I wasn't doing a good job at taking the advice that I am constantly giving all of the clients I work with. And something, some people are good at taking their own advice, but for whatever reason, I'm my own worst client. And um, so I really had to like flip a mental switch and remind myself daily, like, just keep going. It's good enough. No one else is going to worry. No one else is going to know there was three other versions of that landing page or whatever it was. Um, But it was a daily reminder. And I think the other thing that was helpful to me is that I was seeing so many other people kind of spread this message of good enough. And even though I spread that message, I just had to keep hearing it from other people. It sounds a little crazy, but that's the truth. <laughs> no, it doesn't, uh, and I think it's uh, it's it's nice of you to be to be authentic and uh, and vulnerable when you mentioned that. And and I think every single person working in a business, or even as a consultant or freelancer, felt what you just felt right now. It's it's incredibly difficult, I believe, to take distance out of your own work, whether like in your role as a in a company or as a consultant. And as you said, it's. You need to treat yourself as a as a client in yes. your client base and isolate your 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 ego from from the project. But it's tough to do. Exactly. Uh, so thanks for 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 mentioning that and, and going through that in detail. Um, so what would be your advice then to those people feeling this huge imposter syndrome or, or this huge urge to make everything perfect until until it is perfect? I would say that frankly, you're just wasting your time and you're wasting a lot of mental and emotional energy because you are spending eight hours or eight weeks, eight days debating about your landing page or whatever it is that feature you're working on. And you're doing it more than likely based off your own assumptions and all the other ideas in your head. And You just need to get it out there and see what the numbers and the people and the market tell you. And also, chances are, your version of perfect is completely fine in the eyes of everyone else because they haven't seen the seven other versions or heard the reasons why you think this one's better than that. It's just, it's hard. I will be the first to admit that. But once you get into the habit of this, it's easier and easier. Like when you press publish, when you hit send, when you launch that code or whatever, it gets easier every time. And then when it's in front of the people, you will have the data or the feedback to make those decisions a lot faster and a lot smarter. And and going back to the purpose of this show of the Human Strike Back, and why we're doing it, but helping people succeed by putting people first. What you just said, I believe, is is important in for, for two reasons. One, to put yourself first and understand that, as you said, like it's impossible to, to create something that is perfect, even if you spend hours, days, weeks, months, years creating it. But two, the value you wouldn't believe how willing people are to give you feedback as a yes. company or as a as a freelancer or consultant. When they follow you, when they trust you, they want to spend time helping you out and giving, giving you their peace of mind. And in Hotjar, we've seen that 
many, many, many times over. Um, the last, the last time was with the human strike back. Uh, we mentioned just before starting the recording of this podcast, you mentioned our community, our, uh, the why behind the movement, mm-hmm. uh, which is a simple Google doc, but we actually asked our community that we started to create, um, what they thought about it. And, and we had tens, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 people commenting on the document and crowdsourcing it for us. And they are doing it that for free, not because you're taking advantage of them, but right. because this is what a relationship looked like. This is what trust looked like. This is why putting people first allows you to create this bond with people. And that what we believe leads to, to success. I really like that point you made because one of the things that I always advise companies that are maybe just getting ready to let the world they exist or get their first version of their product out there or just put up that landing page, I always say to them, you need to make sure that you're nurturing those people who are giving you your their email address because once you build this almost like little inner circle of or tribe of people that feel like they are co-creating something with you, they're going to be so forgiving too. And they're going to be your greatest advocates as well. Like when I did the first version of this workshop, I then had a group of 85 people that knew it was the first version, knew they got an amazing deal on the price and were happy to give me tons of feedback like you were talking about with your Google Doc. And still, I get emails from them. We're all in a Facebook group together, all of the 300 and however many students. And the feedback there is tremendous. Um, So don't discount the power of the ability to build trust by launching sooner, because if you just come out with your product on a silver platter, it's almost a little egotistical kind of, or it could be perceived that way. Um, So I love that point. It's it's getting more and more difficult to to launch something and get it noticed, right? I mean, it's getting easier for, for anyone literally to create product and services and launch it on Product Hunt or anywhere else. And we believe at Hotjar that the way to really stand out and truly create this bond, this relationship, this trust is by starting very early to, to as you said as well, um, have other people to co-create things with you, to give you feedback and to contribute. This is the only way, we believe, to, to, to create a tribe, and, and to and to grow with your 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 customer and with your user, not against them or not because of them. Uh, so it, this relationship is is so important to us. And and thanks for mentioning it on, on your side as well. So going back to the story, you said 400 people originally expressed their interest, yep. and then you set up a, a landing page with a payment form, and you had uh, the the cost was. $39, right? $39. Actually, it was going to be $29, but my mom said, that seems cheap. Not that she has any context of this pricing, so I raised it $10. <laughs> right. So this is the only time where you should listen to your mom. Um, so let's do quick math, though, because 85 people paid and originally 400 expressed interest. So if I if I do that correctly, it's almost 30% of people exactly. who express interest actually ended up buying. Huge, huge. Which is a huge proportion for anyone um, familiar with conversion rates for this type of uh, of products. Normally you expect, at least from what I've heard, you always project based on about a 2% purchase conversion. So 30% 
amazing. And I didn't have the data on, you know, how long people had been on my newsletter and things, but I think part of it was that they were asked if they were interested. They went to a Google form. So it was almost like they were applying to be in this beta program. And I framed it that way. I said, this is a beta program. Um, fill out this survey. I definitely didn't call it an application. And then I was emailing them back and I said, wow, 400 people of you did this survey. I'm going to go ahead with this. If you're interested, you can sign up and be a part of the first group of people. This is as low as it'll ever be priced. And you'll always get you know, the updated versions because this is only the first time we're doing it. Um, so it ended up a little over $3,000 in sales, $3,300, I think, which is pretty good for the first time. But the great thing about that was that I had not spent more than two hours creating any of the curriculum. So if zero people had given me money, then I just wouldn't have done it. Or if even five people had given me money, I would have refunded them all and said, sorry, we're not doing this. Plus, I had not wasted any time building any curriculum until I saw that, I think after I saw that 20 people had purchased it, I thought, okay, we'll keep doing this. But I actually ended up shutting the registration down because I didn't want more than 85 because I really wanted to be able to give people one-on-one -on -one attention in this Facebook group I made. So talk me through the moment where you took you created this email list of 400 people who were interested mm -hmm. and you sent them this, this, this uh, link to this landing page with a payment form. And how did you feel when you sent this email and, and you, start, you started to get those first sales in? What was the feeling there? Yeah, it was, um, it was exciting because seeing those first payment emails come in, I thought, okay, maybe we're onto something. But once I saw how quickly they were coming in after I sent the first email, I knew that there was a lot of interest because people were not, I could tell people were clicking the link and purchasing immediately. It's not as though they were, you know, spending three days deciding if they should purchase this or not. So the speed at which they were purchasing showed that they were really, really hungry for this. Um, but I think... I, I left kind of the registration open for maybe seven to 10 days. That way I could keep emailing people and say, hey, like the workshop's now in four days, three days, if you want in, blah, blah, blah. And I think those emails also helped kind of some stragglers come along, especially I, as I was able to say, wow, now we're up to 40 people, 50 people, et cetera, to, to, to have some social proof there. Right. Even though I never taught it before. I see what you did there. Um, so 85 or 80 something uh, people uh, ended up purchasing the first version. And in the spirit of, of this show and the purpose of this show, as I said, is, is to, to help uh, people succeed by, by putting people first. So mm -hmm. we're telling your story there and you definitely show, you're showcasing how getting feedback, how co-creating things with people, how taking things slowly and uh, building beta programs and, and being vulnerable with people works, but you also had very good feedback from people and you actually help others to, to, uh, to make their life easier. So what type of feedback did you get after running this first workshop? Right. So after that first workshop, 
um, I sent everyone a survey um, asking them, like, what did they think? What could we do better? Et cetera, et cetera. And I forget the exact numbers, but one of the insights was that people said, that was great. I wish it was multiple weeks long so you could check in with me and hold me accountable. And I could do this at a little bit of a slower pace um, because it was just a fire hose of information in 90 minutes. Um, So that was good feedback. And at that point, I already knew, okay, we're going to move forward with this and keep seeing how big we can grow it. Um, But I would say probably within five weeks after doing that first one, I started to get testimonials back. One girl ended up, well, some of the testimonials were, oh my gosh, I have an interview. Oh, I have a second interview. And one person ended up getting two job offers and then had to like decide which job to take within five weeks of doing the program, I think, just the first version. So once I started getting testimonials like that, which I had never imagined, I mean, I had hoped this would be helpful to people, but I don't think I had put it together in my mind, like the impact that this program could have on people's lives. Like getting a full-time job is a big deal. And I don't think I had really wrapped my head around that. So now that I get emails like that pretty frequently, it's definitely not something that I ever imagined I'd be doing as a part of my business but those emails are so rewarding. Um, and I, I just could never imagine this is part of what I do. Yeah, and it's great to to think beyond just the sale and the landing page and the payment form and the product. Because as you said, this when when you sell a good product or a good service, it has a genuine impact on people's life. And as you said, getting a full-time job could mean a lot of things for people. It could mean financial security for for, for them and their family, it could mean a lot of, of, of different things. So at the end of the day, it's not about selling a workshop. It's really about making other people's life easier, better, and making them progress in their own life as well as yours, right? I, I think another thing that I've realized, and I will say throughout my experience teaching this program, but also through my experience being a student in other programs, whether that's a marathon training group, a little business program I'm a part of, one of the things I've realized is that, yes, the outcome is amazing, whether it's running a marathon or getting hired or whatever it is. But the thing that people really, really value is the how it changes them as a person. So an example would be with this portfolio program. I received a couple of emails that said like, wow, this really helped me become more confident in my skills and get over imposter syndrome or finally complete this project, my portfolio, that I've been working on for years, two years, because I was never disciplined enough and things like that. And it's cool to hear about these other skills that people are developing and character traits, I guess, that will carry on with them beyond just, oh, I got a job, which is still cool. So you mentioned, uh, I picked it up that a few minutes ago, you said I sent a survey after the course was was sent, after the workshop was done. And you said you asked a few questions. So what would be maybe the top three questions you'd recommend people to to use when it comes to 
sending surveys after a purchase experience has happened. So I, I don't have this survey in front of me, but questions I like to ask after a, a, a workshop I run or a class like this, one of them is before taking user experience portfolio formula, um, the biggest challenges I faced were, or the thing that was holding me back was. So get them to answer the before, but I word it in a way that's very personal. So before taking user experience portfolio formula, I struggled to whatever. And then just by asking it in the that um, state, it gets them to respond, I think, in a more human way. And then I ask, um, after taking user experience portfolio formula, I and let them fill in the blank. It's kind of Mad Lib style. Um, another thing would be um, trying to, I always try and evaluate the materials and the content. So something ar- along the lines of the module that was most beneficial or the module where I learned the most or the module where I wish you had spent more time just to give me a sense of what areas might need a little more coverage. And then I always have a last question, which is just open-ended. You know, is there anything else you would like to tell me? And sometimes those are where you get four paragraphs long of this amazing content that you would never have got if it was just a net promoter score or something like that. So a net promoter score is a score between zero and 10 that asks how likely are you to recommend this product or service to a friend uh, or a colleague. And the thing you just mentioned there is a golden... Uh, advice and, and something that we do as well in how to every time we send a survey, always the last question that we add is, is there anything you'd like to add? Please be 100% honest. We love feedback. Mm-hmm. And as you said, usually what seems to happen is people go through the questions, they answer them with details, but the last one seems to be the one where they thought about a few things on a few questions before, and they basically dump every thoughts they have <laughs> left in the, the last question. So exactly. If you have to pick up one tip today, uh, my, my dear listener, is this one. When you send survey, when you ask for feedback, always have this open-ended question at the end that just let them, and let them talk to you. Let them be 100% honest. Let them be direct, detailed. Give them a chance to, to, um, for them to tell you what they are truly thinking. Exactly, exactly. So thanks so much for, for being authentic and vulnerable today, uh, Sarah, and giving and telling your story. Um, a lot of people uh, who might be listening um, are on the fence about embrace, embracing this kind of people-first approach, right? And so what would you tell them to understand that this is the only sustainable way to succeed in the long term? Yeah, I think that if you try and put dollar signs first and you let that be your why, it's going to come through in everything you do, whether it's the social media you're doing, the way you're writing your emails, um, the tone of your videos, things like that. People can really pick up on that. And I think also, when when you focus on the money and maybe it's a bad month, that's going to kind of be really disappointing for you. Whereas if you focus on the people and you can see the um, progress that they're making in their lives, that's really rewarding. Also, you just have to remember the value that there is in building trust with people 
relationships, and realizing that in order to have a profitable product, you 99% of the time need to solve a problem for people. And you can't understand that problem until you become obsessed with those people. So you need to spend some time obsessing over them, whether that's having conversations with them, like I did, for free, responding to people's questions about portfolios and doing free portfolio reviews and all these things. And I did that for months until then I started to pursue the product. Um, And now, you know, after that first test, I taught that workshop still 90 minutes. I taught it in July, August, September, maybe October. And it wasn't until I'd done it four times that I kind of took a step back, spent time to expand the curriculum, put it all kind of on demand to improve the customer experience, user experience of it. Um, But I kept doing it this very manual way for months to, to show myself that it was sustained interest, not kind of a fluke in the summertime when people were curious about portfolios or something. Before we were uh, starting to record this this episode, you said something that was quite uh, nice, and I think it's a good summary of this episode. You said that it's not about giving to get, it's about giving to give. Uh, and I feel this is this is it, right? If you, if you give to expect uh, to get something in return, it's unlikely that you will be successful in the future. It's quite difficult to sustain, as you said, if you have a bad month or anything. But if you just give to give, if you apply the law of reciprocity, which is really about you give something to people such as something for free or advice, answering emails, as you said, what you give back, what you get back is so much more valuable. It's it's trust, it's it's uh, a relationship. Is is, uh, And I believe that's the basis of, of what business should should all be about and relationships in general. So mm-hmm. um, we might use that for the title of the episode. Who knows? Awesome. <laughs> um, last question for you, Sarah. Yes. If you had to pick one resource to help our listeners succeed by putting people first, what would it be? Could be a book, a podcast, a video, a conference. One resource is really hard because there are so many, but one that maybe people have heard before is the the Why TED Talk by Simon Sinek. And it's all about how people don't care what you do, they care why you do it. And it goes back to that idea of authenticity and people being able to spot inauthenticity a mile away or spot the give that really has a hook on the other end of it. And so that's a good one just in terms of getting your mindset around the value of figuring out your why and putting people first. Um, And I guess more practically, I think in order to, like I said earlier, become obsessed with people and things, you need to get smart about doing research. So um, maybe one is, I have a list of 35 questions that you could ask during a research interview. Um, You could pare this down and put it, put some into a Google form, or if you're getting coffee with someone that might be your customer, you could choose some of these, but um, I'll send you over a link to that. 
And anything else that pops into my head as I'm probably thinking about this later today? Yes, we'll add that to the show notes. As usual, uh, people will be able to find your episode at hotjar.com slash humans. Uh, and we'll see what the title will be. Great. Um, Sarah, once again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was great to chat with you. Thanks for listening, my fellow human. We know how fast-paced life is. And so if you're listening to this on your daily commute or while running or even cooking, you can always go to hotjar.com slash humans and look for today's episode. That's where you'll find access to all the resources and humans we talked about, the full transcript of the conversation, and even links to related episodes. And if you like today's episode, please help us out by leaving your honest rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The more honest feedback we get, the more we can improve the show for you, and the more this podcast will be discovered by other humans. It's a win-win situation. Until next time, take care and be human.